And if you want to start, it's December 7th, 2011. And our title tonight is The Splendor of a King. And so when I was watching Matt's testimony, these things started to come to light. And um, just some things that I had been studying in my own life. And uh, sometimes I like to, to get off into a little bit of um, ancient history. Some people like American history and things like that. But uh, what really um, works for me is ancient history. You know, just so far back, it, it uh, does a lot for me. Um, so some of the things that I found I'll share with you tonight, I think uh, uh, point to some of our present day um, issues like uh, um, finding God in the hidden things in our life. When we point out a principle to you or practical things in your life, uh, these, these may have been hidden to you before, but it's a revelation to you, just like it is to me. And uh, not, nothing's changed now, uh, even all the way back until um, the beginning of mankind. Um, so we'll start tonight in Matthew 13, 34. So in Matthew 13, 34, Jesus quotes Psalm 78. And he said, and it says, uh, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And before we get into that point, um, today I was I was looking for um, a bass strap for my uh, bass guitar, and um, <laughs> uh, I'm looking all in the closet, Jennifer's looking at me crazy, so I'm looking all in the closet, and something that I find, uh, I'm looking all over the place, I can't find it, of course, I find one that I could use, but uh, I'm looking all over the place, and I find a little treasure box that Jennifer had stashed in the closet, and the reason I know it was treasure, because I know what was in it, um, it was a wooden box that my stepdad made. For her, it had, uh, when you open it, it has a little heart inside of it, and it says, Michael loves Jennifer, or something like that. And so it became a special box, and uh, so she put special things in it. She put things, uh, which I didn't recognize until I went digging in it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh. uh, and so I found some funny things, and I found some poetry I wrote, and uh, things to her from way back, you know, I mean, like the white paper's turning yellow. I mean, that's scary. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, some things from like her mom. and uh, But what stuck out to me was the treasures of her life um, were not the rings that I bought her or anything like that. It was the things that came from the people, the people that was dearest to her in her life, the people that made an impact in her life. Um, the main one, me, praise God. Amen. Amen. Because there was little pictures of me since I was little. And then it's like a progression all the way to this crazy thing we call age. And um, <laughs> uh, it was funny because uh, it's good to look back through the pictures. I see me where I couldn't couldn't break a smile for nothing, you know. And now God's putting the joy of the Lord on me. Amen. Amen. And uh, one thing I found was um, a little Valentine's card it had little bears on it, and had bears on it. And uh, 
and I opened it, and inside it, it said um, um, something to the, the effect, uh, can I get a little bear hug or something like that. Uh, uh, <laughs> you a sucker, because that's a terrible line. <laughs> but it didn't take much to get her, you know what I mean? And so the point, so I found hidden treasures Amen. in a box, something that we'll point out tonight, and uh, something that I gathered from uh, Matt's uh, testimony as well is what he showed us was his treasures. And so it sparked the title for tonight, A Splendor of a King. Um, and when I thought of that, I thought of Matt uh, and an earthly king because we're a reflection of the eternal king. And uh, so tonight we'll get back to the scripture and then we'll come back to that. Um, Matthew 34, I will open my mouth in parables, or I'll call them puzzles, uh, because it takes every piece of the parable to make the point of, the, of, uh, of what he was trying to say. Without, a, without one of the pieces, you don't get the true, true truth of it. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And that's funny because when I was looking back in history, I came across a book I started to read called The, um, the Royal Treasures of Earth. Uh, the Royal... Let me get this right. The Treasures of the Royal Tombs of Earth. Um, anybody know? Come on, somebody tell me what Ur is or who came out of Ur? Abraham. Amen. So Abraham was called out of Ur. We know that Ur was not uh, Jerusalem. It wasn't a godly place. If anything, it's known for its uh, pagan worship, right? We just got through talking about uh, Abraham's father, Terah, and he was an idol maker. Yeah, he'd make idols. And um, all right, so they called it the cradle of civilization. Um, it might be between the rivers or something to the effect, uh, because it was between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Um, the cradle of civilization, which meant maybe this uh, even came back to where the Garden of Eden could have been. Um, okay, so in the I found out that in the 1930s, a man named Charles Woolley, uh, an archaeologist, um, unearthed a, a little city there and about 1,800 grave sites. Well, what was interesting about this, what, what stuck out to me first, if this man was... A genius because he looked at a desert. It was a dry place with nothing. I mean, you can just picture a sand desert and there's nothing. And somewhere in his wisdom, he went, mm. and out of that, he found treasures. <laughs> and what he found was the 1800 graves. And not only that, but 16 of these 1800 graves, he deemed as royal graves, as royal tombs. And the reason he did that, because when he unearthed these 16, uh, what was buried in them was kings. And the reason they knew that was because what was buried with them. So what was buried with them, I got a few pictures for you, so you can kind of get a feel for what I'm telling you. Okay, so this was some of the tombs. And I know it looks just like dirt, but in each individual one was a separate king and things that were buried with them. This is a singular one, so it's actually deep. It has a lot, a lot to it. Some of the things, and it's hard to, to show here, but these are actually uh, 
royal items, uh, gold pieces, treasures of sorts. Um, and oddly enough, or commonly enough, some of their dead idols. You're going to love this one. I know you can't tell what it is, but I know because I've seen them pull it out, clean it off, and, and realize what it was. And this is beautiful. Do you ever stop to think um, that God might have a testimony amongst each nation? No matter if they're pagan, no matter what they choose, does God still have his testimony amongst each people? Yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes. Undoubtedly yes. We, we talk about going to the ends of the world and to the tribes that never heard. And when we get there, we realize that God somehow, someway spoke his message to them. And at some point they walked away from it or they still hold on to it. Anybody can tell me somewhat what this is? If you, I had to turn it sideways for Jennifer as though the lamb was on top of the gold portion. Come on, somebody take a guess. The lamb stuck in her thorn bush. <laughs> this is the ram caught in the thicket. Yeah. Wow. And this is one of the pieces that were found commonly buried with the kings of earth. Mm. Can you think about that for a minute? Mm -hmm. Does God not have his testimony amongst each people? Sure <laughs> Some other things. Okay, so these are tablets. And this one um, in particular is, uh, shows war, wars, uh, times of war. Uh, you can see people getting run over by chariots and things like that. And the big guy at the top in the middle is the king. So this was a testimony of the king. In each one, there was a different one. And it showed basically his legacy. Not only that, but it showed his victories. This was one with the king is um, to the top left. And what it shows here is times of peace. You see them from the bottom progressing all the way up to the king, and they're bringing plenty. This is times of plenty. All right. So what do we have in these tombs? If we put these together, and if you're anything like me, uh, you start to put pictures together and you start saying, what does this mean? All right, so we had tablets, times of war, times of peace, victories and defeats, buried with a king. We had treasures buried with the king. Not only did they find rams stuck in a thicket, but they would find documents that spoke of biblical floods. <laughs> their testimony. So they had tablets that spoke of their victories and their defeats. They had Treasures that spoke of God's testimony. I mean, they buried it with them. They knew something about it. They had their father's dead idols buried with them. They had the most influential people buried with them. They would have the kings. They'd have their dead idols. They'd have their testimony. And they would have the most influential people buried around them in their tomb. Not only that, well, what's something that struck to me? is they had their slaves buried with them. And you say, oh, well, that's degrading because they felt that they were property and they buried with them. No. When you dug deeper, you understood that the slave wanted to be buried with the king. 
The reason was, it was an honor to be buried with the key. Because they believed in the afterlife. And they believed if they were buried with their key, everything that he achieved on this planet, they would inherit. Everything, every accomplishment that he accomplished on this planet would be theirs because they were buried with their king. So we got the king that's buried with the most valuable things in his lifetime. We have a tomb. We have a king. We have a slave. We have a legacy. And we have dead idols and a true testimony. Turn to Romans 6, 4. And I'll show you where I'm going with it. There. Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, so I'm looking at all this. I'm putting everything together and I'm going, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. There's something embedded in me as though God spoke the same message to the people of Ur, as he spoke to me, buried with the king in order to live in the life that he accomplished for me. Now do something for a minute. Put yourself in the shoes of the slave. If you're the slave, and you die, and you want the honor to be buried with your king, what, do you, what happens? You gain his testimony. You gain his legacy. Amen. Your father's dead idols, which you served, are now buried with him. <laughs> uh, and now your eternity is based on your king's accomplishments while on this planet. Amen. Is this resonating with anybody? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, because I'll make sure it was just me. <laughs> All right. And what does uh, 6 4 say? Through the glory. Of the Father. We just pointed out El Shaddai. The God who is enough. Is he enough? Yes. Is he? When do we embrace that? When do we learn to count it as dead? I guess if God's speaking any message to me through this, which we'll get to every part of it. It's resonating in me already that the, the price that he paid for you was enough. Yeah. It was enough. We walk downcast. We walk in inadequacy. And what are we doing? What is inadequacy? To me, it's doubt. It's doubt that he did not do enough. That he did not pay enough. That he did not give enough. What is timid? Timid is fear. When you walk in an attitude, that's timid. It's fear. It says, you're not enough. It says what you did when you were here, your resurrection is not enough. It's enough. Amen. Matter of fact, it's more than enough. Hmm. Okay, I got this. When I was young, 
The first time I got in a uh, fight was uh, with a, a bully uh, on the school bus. Dude was huge, right? And um, and he sat in the back of me, and he kept beating me in the head, beating me in the head, beating me in the head. And uh, after a couple weeks of it, I got tired of it, and I turned around, and I jumped, and I saddled his shoulders with my legs, and I played a boxing bag with his head. And so, of course, that gets me to the principal's office, right? And I get in trouble for it, of course. Well, when I get home, there's a problem with that. I have a stepdad that has a, a love for me and sees that that's not righteousness in that. So what he does is he goes to the principal's office and tells the principal's principal, how about I do that to you? And I say, well, okay. Anyway, they pan some things out. But the point was that said something to me. That said something that I had a father that would stand up for me when injustice was done to me. Amen. Amen. It happened again in middle school when a coach picked me up by the shoulders and slammed me on the ground. Dad had a problem with that also. He goes to the school and tells them, how about I pick you up, standing nose to nose, how about I pick you up off the ground and see if you like it? What does he say? No, of course not. Of course not. And so you got a young boy sitting back and going, Okay. Makes you perk up a little bit. A little bit of confidence, right? A little bit of confidence. Do you know you have a father that will fight for you? Do yeah. you know that you have a father that will stand upon your injustices? Yes. Do we know that? Yes. That's, that's what I'm trying to say tonight. We count it as dead. We count as new life built in us. We have a father that said he is more than enough. And he's trying to tell you he did something for you. And we need not to forget that. He did something for you, paid a mighty price for you. Amen. And we need not to forget that. He, he paid the price that should make you walk with joy every day. He paid the Amen. price that should give you confidence every day yeah. Amen. Amen. to Amen. move forward. Amen. Before, uh, before I had an encounter with the Lord, I, I tattooed a verse on my leg, which was Hebrew 13, 6. <laughs> Didn't even know. Okay, so this points right back to me. I think, okay, see, God has his testimony in the people. Because nobody told me about Jesus. I didn't know anything. All I knew somebody gave me a, a promise book. You know the little books? The yeah. promise book, and it's a list of scriptures. So I'm flipping through it, and I'm like, ooh, I like that one. So God is my helper, but in whom shall I fear? So if God is my helper... I should not be afraid. Whom shall I fear? <laughs> Boy, that one resonated. I mean, no encounter with the Lord, no nothing, don't know anything, but nothing but a world of sin. But I know something. There's a God out there. He's starting to read and resonate in my life, starting to show me things, and start to show me he is more than enough. Amen. <laughs> Matt's testimony the other night, I love that. They got up here. He showed you pictures of his family. He showed you testimonies of a marriage. I told you it inspired my title, The Splendor of a King. To me, it was the splendor of an earthly king. <clears throat> his crown was his family. 
I know this because when I had an encounter with God, the encounter with God, where some people would say I got saved or anything like this. The problem is nobody told me who Jesus was <laughs> or anything like this. I was on a front porch and all of a sudden I had this overwhelming flood of there's a God. I'm not him. If there is one, I need to find out what pleases him. And that was good enough for me. It's been forward ever since. He had a crown, and what he gave me was a crown. All of a sudden, my perspective changed. I understood that he gave me something beautiful. He gave me a wife. That's what we had at the time. I only had a wife, but we had a newborn son. All of a sudden, they became valuable to me, more than they were before. Something was brand new. He made all things new. He gave me a crown. Matt stood up here, gave his testimony. When he got married, God anointed him with something beautiful, with a crown. He anointed him over his domain, rewarded him with a crown, and they produced jewels in the crown. Amen. Through obedience, they gain treasure as they go forward. You agree? Yes. <laughs> I thought, what if I was given the task to create a crown? For the eternal king. What if I was given a task that says, you know, in six months, I'm going to meet the king eternal. And he asked me to fashion something for him, to build something for him. Something that I would lay at his feet, he would actually place upon his head and wear for eternity. What would you do with that? Come on, I know there's some ladies in here that does crafts. I mean, y'all get all up into it, right? <laughs> I mean, y'all get together. What's your idea? You, the, the energy put into it would be ridiculous. <laughs> it's no different. It's no different. God gave me a crown, and my life's work is to form it, create it, make it beautiful, only to lay at his feet. Amen. And then be so proud that he'll wear it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Come on, God gave me Jennifer my crown. Amen. My beautiful one. I'm no prettier than the garments I wear. She's it. She goes before me. <laughs> I show her off. There's no doubt about that. I think Proverbs says she goes before before me and give a good report. Amen. She walks, that means she walks before me. And the reason I'm shaped and formed different than her is that she goes before me. This is, people always say, well, the lost people say, well, the woman works by, walks behind me. Yeah. And then say, people say, well, we walk together. But Proverbs says she goes before you. And the reason is that we built, men are built with broad chest. So when the storms of life come, she can fall back on us. Amen. Amen. We can catch her. This is marriage. This is a life story. Not only that, but it's the story of our king and us. Amen. And I have full confidence in her. Of course. I'm not making a plea. I'm trying to tell you the eternal story. I'm not earning brownie points. My wife knows this about me. You can do both. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
That makes her my best attribute. Amen? Amen. She's the most valuable thing to me, and so are the jewels that she adds into our crown. Amen. You can add relationships, children. This is all building something beautiful for the king. I'm talking to men right now. I'm talking to men right now that are on that verge of making that commitment. I'm telling you, you need to step up. God's giving you a crown to build. And the longer you keep from doing that, you're just prolonging the inevitable. If you now serve the king and he's giving you something beautiful, he wants you to lock arms and move forward and start building that beautiful thing for him. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. To me, a husband, the most beautiful expression my wife can show to me is trust. When I can say, Jennifer, go do this for me, and she doesn't have to ask me the details, she just goes, that's the ultimate expression to me. It shows she trusts me in the role that I play in our relationship. I get a witness from any man. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. When she doesn't need to understand another details, it's beautiful. It's simple trust. You want to test my flesh? Touch my crown. You understand? You want to test my flesh? Touch my crown. Touch the beautiful things that God has given to me. I'm not on the verge of sinning here. I'm trying to tell you a truth. God gives you something beautiful. She needs to know I'm going to die for her. She needs to know that I'm going to lay my life down for her. God gives you something beautiful, you fight for it. Amen. You might fight, have to fight to get it, and that means you're going to have to fight to keep it. Amen? Right. Amen. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I can't get off of that one. Search your heart right now. Search your life. If there's a couple in here, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, I want you to look at each other in your eyes right now and say, you are the most valuable thing on the planet to me. Okay. All right. So if there was a funny feeling in there, if that was awkward in any way, you have some growing to do. You still got further to go. If that was awkward, weird, if it was anything but give you one of those, <laughs> you got further to go. Because you can get there. He wants you to get there. It's called unity. Moving forward Amen. as one. Amen. I've been saved. That movie? I've been saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized. But touch my crown and you're going to find the 10th gift of the Spirit. <laughs> you're going to find the Spirit of Samson on me. <laughs> because my children, my wife, the relationship. I made it funny? <laughs> my wife, my children, these beautiful things. God's giving you something beautiful, whether it's a friend, whether it's a mother, father. Children, wife, and we got to fight for it. Yes. Amen. 
right. Y'all got it. Yes. <laughs> Jesus is no different. Wow. Jesus is no different. No different. This is why he likens the marriage. At what point do we realize our worth to him? Our worth to him. We struggle in sin. We don't realize it because sin is doubt. Sin is walking in timidity. Sin is walking in anything less than power. Focus. Keep your mind upon him. And you're going to realize that you are so much valuable more than you think. We all fail to realize what he gave up and what he did in order to have us. At some point, he said, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to start showing you how I feel about you. And he did that when Jesus showed up on the planet. I spoke my word to you. I explained myself to you. But at some point, the stopping talks and the walking starts. The actions start. When do we realize that's for you, Ryan? What he did was for you. Every one of us in here, but specifically you. He had you, just you, in mind. That's a heavenly mystery. How when he was on this planet and every step he took and every obedient action that he made, he had you in mind only. And at the same time, every one of you, all at the same time. Yeah, that's going beyond what we can understand, right? God expressed his love and obedience to death. It's no clearer than that. I live my life for a while Asking for signs to believe in God played defense in my trial Quietly hanging there bleeding While I cast lots for his robe While I point my bloody finger Forgive them I used to ask for a sign to believe in But he never gave me a reason to ever doubt him Give me one reason to doubt He is Messiah Give me one reason to doubt I am 
talking and he had to show you what your value was to him so valuable to the father he give his son so valuable to the son he would lay down his life for you look at Matthew 13 44 Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. All right, so most have a good perspective on that or an understanding. There's a revelation here that we should get and we'll share tonight. But first I want you to turn to the book of Ruth. And we're going to lay a foundation for it. And you tell me whether this revelation is real or not. So most know the story in the book of Ruth. Naomi and Ruth traveled back from Bethlehem to seek provision because they are now widows. 
Naomi's husband dies and her two sons die, leaving Ruth a widow as well. Naomi was all Ruth had, and Naomi had nothing, but she did have something afield. So in the story, we'll turn to chapter 2, and we enter into the story where Naomi and Ruth start to live in the house of bread in Bethlehem, in the place of provision for them. At least they were just about to figure that out. And so in Ruth chapter 2, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, who is that young woman? Something caught his eye. Boaz, in this story, is second in line as a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer in simple forms uh, is somebody who had the right to, in a way, earn... Um, I'll explain that. Earn back um, a property from a relative. Good enough? And carry on his name. And carry on the name. So Ruth was a Gentile clinging to Naomi, who was a, who was a Jewish woman who had this right because it was from her people that this idea came. But Naomi, in a sense, adopted Ruth when Ruth told her, told her on the way to Bethlehem, when Naomi told her to go back, she told her, no, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Naomi said, good enough. Boaz enters the story here as a kind, generous man. He's second in line to the kinsman redeemer. And God's playing all this out. So what the Lord did was he put a, a love in his heart for Ruth, right off the top, kind of like I had when I seen Jennifer. She had me from hello. I mean, okay. The kinsman redeemer has a problem because he's a prideful man and he has a problem with um, Gentiles. So Boaz, to make a long story short, comes up with a clever plan to figure out a way to become first as kinsman redeemer. Flip one page, chapter four. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over there, my friend, and sit down. 
So he went over there and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on that day you buy the land back from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow. I love that how they put that, the dead man's widow. I can relate to that. Because at some point I became a widow to death and available to be purchased Amen. or redeemed. Amen. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. At this point, Boaz is going, okay, my plan's working. Everything's on track. Verse 9, then Boaz, to the elders of all the people, said, Today you are my witness as I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malone. I have also required, uh, acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malone's widow. And if you want to witness to what I just said, the name Malone means death. And so today I acquired death's widow. So we got a kinsman redeemer that comes up with a clever plan by selling a, by purchasing a field in order to require, acquire death's widow. Is that not beautiful? As my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records, today... Your witnesses. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, I'm going to give you a little nugget I found. So when you look up Obed in its simple, simplest form, it meant a servant or the servant or an obedient servant. Because without obedience, you cannot be a servant. And so Jesse, oddly enough, his meaning of his name could have been the extension of. And David, we know as the beloved, our love. And so if you put these together, so you got Obed, who was the extension of Jesse, who was the father of David, or you have the servant, who was the extension of love. Y'all like that? I do. Okay. All right. So we have Boaz. 
a Jewish kinsman redeemer. We have Ruth, a Gentile widow of death. They produce a servant, which is an extension of love. <coughs> Boaz purchased the whole field in order to receive a treasure hidden within it. Y'all getting it? Yeah, oh yeah. He kept the law in doing it. I mean, come on. We can go from every different angle. It's very, very clear. The kinsman redeemer purchased a field in order to redeem death's widow. So turn back with me to Matthew 13. Now read this in this light. 1344. Let me back up for you for a minute. Go to 1334. I want to reiterate this. I will open up my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. He hid his word within his people and their actions. He hid his word in the parables that he spoke to the people he spoke in chapter 13. He spoke four parables in the house to the multitudes. I'm sorry, he spoke four parables outside the house to the multitudes. Didn't explain them. He took his disciples in and spoke four parables inside the house and explained them. And by the time he gets to this one, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's almost like he said, by, by now, you should have got it. Because he didn't even explain it. By now, you should have got it. You know the story of Ruth. You know the story I've been telling you over and over and over again. I just told the, the multitudes four parables. And every time I was the sower, I was the man in the parable. Tell me why we shouldn't read verse 44 in the same manner. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When Jesus found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. He purchased the field. The sower and the seed says that the, the earth, the soil, was man and his heart. <coughs> The same thing in the field in this parable. The field is mankind. And what our kinsman redeemer did for us was purchase the whole field in order to get you. Did he not? Yeah. yeah. <coughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Excuse me. When Jesus found it, he hid it again. And then the joy set before him went and sold all he had and bought that field. At what point do we realize our worth to him? That he would purchase the whole field in order just to get you. That he would lay down his divinity, that he would shed his blood just to get you. Somebody read Philippians 2 for me. 
encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here it is. Keep going. Read to verse 9. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That's good. It points out what he gave for you. We see the bloodshed. We see the pain. But we don't see mankind's sin that he carried for us. Obedience unto death. Not only did he purchase the whole field, in order just to get you specifically, did he not purchase you in order to get that treasure which is inside of you, which is obedience? Amen. Amen. Keith, you and Rachel, come here. Please, come on. Come on. Y'all family now. Come on. Y'all gonna help me out. Come on, I wanna show you something. Come on, Rachel. You can do it. I know. That's right. Come on. <laughs> Come on. No. You go hate me now. <laughs> yes. Somebody excelling in the Lord after getting touched. Somebody embracing, knowing that I'm about to be on the verge of connecting with the beauty that He's put in my life. That takes courage, doesn't it? Yes. yes. It takes courage. I want to ask you how the man and how the woman show love for each other. I want to make a point. Can you stand up here, please? On the top? Now, I want you to do something. Do you find yourself full of courage sometimes? Yes? All right. Good. Then you stand here. All right? Now, I want you to put your arms up. Thank you. Now I want you to turn around. Okay? Now I want you to stand on the edge here. Because this takes courage. And I want to tell you, this is how it is to follow Jesus. And this is the only thing that you can give to him. You need to show your love to her. She needs to know that you'll catch her. Amen? He needs to know that you're going to risk something for him. That's trust. Amen. That's trust. Amen. Yeah. I want you to do put your arms out and tell me. You said you were courageous, right? <laughs> then I want you to catch her. 
Is that scary? Is that scary? Do it again. I mean, come on, we put that. We gotta risk something. Will he catch you? Will he catch you? Oh, you want him to speak to you? I try. I try. You want me to go back again? Sure. Sure. Oh. Now you see, as you do it over and over again, it's supposed to get easier, right? Yes. Okay, do it again. Come on, full of courage. Full of power, full of trust, because you can risk something. See this? This is how the sin nature works, right? Fear and doubt creep in. The longer it goes, the longer the span, we start to think too much. You're no more pure than the day you were saved. How, how quickly did you fall in his hands the first time? About a second. It took you about two the second time. It took you about three the third time, and now you're thinking about it. Because <laughs> it wasn't a good fall. Uh-huh. There we go. See? This is beautiful. We speak to our own selves. It's no different with Jesus. It's no different. And this, was, this is what he wants from you. You need to know that that man in your life is going to catch you. He needs to know that you're willing to risk something for him. Showed his love by being faithful and catching her. She showed her love by trusting and risking failure. <laughs> We're going to get it. He's more than enough. He's done more than enough. At some point, he stopped talking and he showed you. And when you think he's silent in your life, it's because he already showed you. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. It's already said. Matter of fact, I've done it. Matter of fact, I showed you. What more do I have to do? What more do I have to say to show my love for you? Your value to me. Your value to me. We need to know we're valuable. So valuable. We are treasures hidden in the tomb. We counted as dead. And now we've been born again in a new life. Amen. Look at 45. 13.45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I'm going to read it again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I got to tell you, the pearl is not Christ because he cannot be bought. I want to tell you, the pearl may be your obedience. 
You are that pearl, and the obedience within you is what he's seeking. Let me tell you about the pearl. You got to get past its hard, protective exterior and a layer of flesh to pull out that pearl. Somebody in here tonight has got walls all around you, has got great, protective, hard exteriors, calluses on your heart. He's trying to get your obedience. He wants you to risk failure. Amen. Do y'all feel the value that has been put in you? Yes. Amen. That's the revelation I got. Amen. But I got to ask you, are you willing to fight to get it? You're going to have to fight to get it. I can feel somebody struggling in here tonight, fighting with understanding your value that the king has purchased and has in his mind. He sees you in a certain manner that you don't see yourself in. He sees you in a light that you don't see yourself in. The enemy's trying to steal something from you. The enemy's trying to break through and trying to pierce your heart. Trying to infiltrate your mind and your thoughts and tell you you're not worth what you're really worth. You, you are a treasured possession, a pearl. You've been buried with him and raised with him to new life. And that life is so valuable to him, that pearl which, which is within you will be found when you show love and trust by risking something. At what point do we stop walking anything less than we are? Walking in timidity as though you haven't been purchased by the king. Walking in inadequacy. As though you haven't been purchased by the king. As though he didn't buy a whole field in order just to get you. As though he didn't purchase you in order to get that treasure of obedience in you. Amen. He's trying to pull a pearl out of you. He's trying to show you who you really are. Instead, we let somebody else, we let the enemy tell us who we are. We let some other voice speak into our life and say, I am invaluable. I am less. Jesus says you are more. Amen. You are more than enough. He is more than enough. He paid more than enough. His price that he paid was more than enough to show you who you are and how you should walk. Do we get that? Yes. Might want to play or something? <laughs> While Matt gets ready to <coughs> worship with us, I love Mike's revelation because Mike actually got the revelation. He didn't read it in a book and decide it was true. He got the revelation. You see the confidence he's sharing with you, what he received from the Lord? That's because he received it from the Lord and not from a man. Imagine if you were daring enough to fall into the Lord's arms tonight. What you might receive from him that you could be confident about. Proverbs 25.2 says it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's to
to the glory of kings to seek it out. Jesus is the ultimate king. You are a field, and he purchased you lock, stock, and barrel. Bad complexion days, bad hair days. He purchased you, all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because he knew buried inside of you was the obedience of the nations that he purchased. He knew it. Amen. We have a chance to worship. In this church, we do not draw out long emotional settings. If you can't stand up for God in here, you are not going to do it out there. But I want to tell you, tonight could be your starting line. Tonight could be that moment where you've been saved maybe years, but you never walked in the power you could walk in because you never dared to believe you were a treasure to Him. I, I can't watch that show that Mike put out. It makes me cry every time. I walked around the room and watched y'all cry. He took every lick for you because you're worth it. I've been told we're just old sinners. That's the field. The treasure was that he would make you a saint. Don't let him buy the field without getting the saints. Y'all stand your feet. We're going to open this altar. We're not going to stand up and make a show of things. I'm going to tell you if you've been living more like a field than a treasure, it's time to change your mind, change your direction. Let him carve away that oyster so the pearl can be revealed tonight. It's just as much sin for a man to think too lowly of himself as too high. The same sin. All the enemy ever wanted was for you to think you could not do God's will. How dare he convince us of that standing with our brothers. Church, rise up. This is your hour. The world's told you your worth is determined by your salary. Your worth is determined by your numbers of your curves on your body. It's determined by where you grew up. The king says your worth is determined by what I paid for you. Amen. Amen. And there wasn't anything left to give. He gave it all. Let's take this time to worship him. Let's get it right. Don't be shy. Please don't be a coward. We've spent our years being cowards. Be bold. Run into his presence. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't look around. Don't slow down. Take your stand and fall into his arms. I'll be a doctor already. I need to fall into his arms tonight.